Imagine for a moment that you are stripped completely naked, flown to the middle of a desert, thousands of miles from the nearest town or person, and left there. No food, no water, no shelter. How long do you think you would survive? A week? Three days? Two days? And yet the Australian Aborigines, the longest continuous culture on earth, survived in those exact conditions for over 40,000 years. The Australian desert is one of the most inhospitable places on this planet. People, families have broken down in their cars crossing one of its deserts and have survived less than 48 hours. In some cases, drinking their cars radiator water in a failed and desperate attempt to survive. NASA trains its astronauts there because of its similarity to the severe conditions of Mars. And these Australian deserts are mind-blowingly immense. The Simpson Desert and the Nullarbor Deserts combined are the size of Europe and the land area of just one western desert tribe. The Walpuri people, a tribe of only 1500, is the size of England. Driving across Australia's deserts in the comfort of an air-conditioned coach, one looks out at the desert as far as the eye can see and is struck by the immensity of endless empty space. For an Australian Aborigine looking out on that same scene, he or she sees a land rich of foods, water, animals, materials for shelter and tools, and a vast variety of bush medicines. It is natural for us to be amazed at the Australian Aborigine's ability to survive and even thrive in this extremely hostile and desolate environment. And it is also natural that that tends to become the central focus of our understanding of and engagement with the indigenous people of Australia. It is truly extraordinary. They are indeed extraordinary people. However, there is an even more incredible story about the Australian Aborigine. And that is the deep profundity of their understanding of reality and the cosmos. It is commonly agreed among anthropologists that for most indigenous peoples of this earth, their day-to-day -day survival needs were met with approximately three to four hours a day of hunting and gathering. And the Australian Aborigines were no different. It is estimated that it took between three to four hours a day of hunting by the men and gathering by the women to meet all the tribe's needs for that day. So what did they do with the other 20 hours of the day? The great Swiss psychologist and student and colleague of Sigmund Freud, Carl Jung, was obsessed with the Australian Aborigine. Jung also estimated that the Australian Aborigine spent three to four hours a day meeting their survival needs. But where Jung felt that the Australian Aborigines were unique among the world's indigenous people was how they utilized the overwhelming majority of their time. According to Jung, they spent that time almost exclusively cultivating a higher state of consciousness. Or in union terms, they spend the vast majority of their time contacting and immersing themselves in the collective unconscious. Now, it is not unusual for the Earth's indigenous people to endeavor to raise their consciousness or to make contact with so-called spiritual realms. However, the Australian Aborigines used every spare moment for consciousness raising. Yun, among others, estimated that they spent three-fourths of their lives doing this. And like the New Zealand Maori, the Australian Aborigine did not use any psychoactive plants to assist them. 
Instead, the way in which they cultivated a higher consciousness was exclusively through the practice of art, story, music, song, dance and painting were the methods that Australian Aborigines used. All of these were practiced and performed so that they might more deeply dwell in what they knew as the dreaming. The now moment, beyond the historical, always now, only apparently then, the moment before the existence of time, when nothing became something. The Australian Aborigines dreaming is primarily a creation myth, and like all creation myths, from the ancient Indian Vedas to the Judeo-Christian myth of Genesis, it points to that moment before time where nothing produced something. All cultures' creation myths, including the scientific explanation called the Big Bang, point to or attempts to explain this relation between nothing and something. The great ancient poets of China pointed poetically to this always, already coincident, now moment of nothing and something and named it the existence tissue. The 20th century philosopher Martin Heidegger spoke of the importance of poetic thinking or the thinking of the ontological difference, that is to say the difference between nothing and something. For Heidegger, why is there something rather than nothing? was the only real question for philosophy. The Australian Aborigines' story of this moment of creation is a story of the primal energies or exaggerated mythic beings who sang the earth into existence. One cannot help but hear the resonances with the Judeo-Christian creation myth of Genesis. In the beginning was the word, language bringing things into being. As an example, today's virtual reality might be understood as merely a world brought into existence by the binary language of ones and zeros that is to say the language of something and nothing. The arts of song, dance and painting performed by the Australian Aborigines all told the stories, battles and adventures of these dreamtime mythic beings responsible for creation. However, if we are to understand how the telling of these stories through the practice of art cultivated a higher consciousness for the Aboriginal people, we must understand that for Aboriginal people these stories are not about something that happened in the past. This is because they are about events that created time and thus before time. In the same way in which a quantum physicist today might explain that the Big Bang is best understood not as an event in the past but as something that is happening in every moment. Or if there is only now, when did creation happen? And if there is only now, when did nothing become something? It could only happen now. In other words, paradoxically, something and nothing are happening at the same time. Every moment is the Big Bang. This reality is something and nothing, which is what ancient Chinese poets and today's quantum physicists have said. And of course the Australian Aborigines, for who this understanding formed their whole conception of time and space. The Aboriginal conception of time is not linear. The Aboriginal conception of time has no beginning nor any end. Thus, they do not see their lives beginning with birth and ending in death. Rather, their conception of time is circular, going through the cycles of visible something and invisible nothing. 
everything seemingly goes through these cycles of visible and invisible. For example, a person is invisible prior to their conception, visible during their lifetime, and invisible after their death. When an aboriginal person dies, there is a few days of sorry business, where the person is grieved by their family and friends. However, after that period of mourning, everything to do with that person is burned or disposed of, and that person is never mentioned off again. It is considered highly inappropriate and rude for anyone to refer in any manner to the dead person ever again. This acknowledges and honors that the person has passed completely from the realm of visible to the realm of the invisible. It is also a recognition that the personality or the sense of separate self is a minor, temporary and merely contingent moment in the face of eternalness of existence. The Aboriginal conception of space is not one of distance. The Aboriginal concept of space does not see space as the distance between two or more objects. Rather, the Aboriginal conception of space is that space is the consciousness between objects. In other words, for the Australian Aborigine, space is conscious. Here it might help to take a brief detour into another spiritual tradition, that of Tibetan Buddhism and they're pointing out the nature of mind, instructions. A Tibetan Buddhist master is pointing out the nature of your mind might begin by asking you to describe what you see around you. For most people, they will describe and make note of everything they see. A chair, a table, window, the computer, etc. But what 99.9% .9 of people will fail to mention is that which is most abundant, the space between objects. In fact, Every object requires space to appear. We cannot even imagine an object without imaging the space around it. Now this is also true for so-called internal objects. That is to say thoughts, the taste of your mouth, the feeling of your body, etc. Every internal object requires internal space to appear or be felt. Now the Tibetan Buddhist master would ask the key question. What is the difference between the external and internal spaces? Very quickly it is seen, there is no difference between the internal space and the external space, except that made by the thought or the mind. It is only thought that makes a difference, a difference which in reality is not actually true. This was the profound insight of the Australian Aborigine. The internal space that makes consciousness of internal objects possible is no different than the external space that makes external objects possible. Thus, space is consciousness, or as the Zen Buddhists say, reality is conscious nothingness. For 40,000 years, wandering naked through the immense space of one of the most inhospitable environments on Earth, the Australian Aborigines came to the same understanding. Recognize the somethingness of life enough that you might love and enjoy it, but also recognize its nothingness enough so that you do not take it too seriously. Anonymous Taoist Master Look